This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. You know, we have an expression, you know, if it's too hot, stay out of the kitchen. If you don't want to have your programs criticized by the President of the United States, I say two things. One, don't make dumb proposals. And two, maybe you should think a little bit about the tone in this town when they're being eviscerating the President for everything from, from being a socialist, a communist, to not even being born in this country. I thought the President's tone was remarkably measured, consider the attacks that he's on every day. I mean, President Weiner certainly would have been that measured. Are you anticipating that someday there might be a President Weiner? This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 28 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill, less extreme, and generally less angry conversation. So stop me if you've heard this one before. The United States of America borrows money to fund its functions. It does so because it spends each year more than it takes in. Um, the recent history of this debt fact arises out of two mind-blowing concepts. Our costs have risen, and the amount of money we collect in taxes has been cut. We can probably vote, devote an entire season of podcasts to the explanation of why and how those two things have happened, but I'm going to guess you have a general understanding of that. We can also look at how bills for debts are already incurred. You already knew that. That's what this debt limit is all about. It's not new things. It's old things. We promise to pay it. And the fact that we always honor our debts, that fact, that fact alone, actually, um, the dollar is the undisputed reserve currency in the world. Because when we say we're going to pay you, we do. We, it gets honored. Even a hint that we aren't going to pay our debts opens the door for the euro or some other currency. Practically speaking, that's really not going to happen. So here we are. On Monday, Janet Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, says that time is up on raising the, the limit. Our cash and our flexibility will be done, the so-called X date. That's going to be reached on the 1st of June. But so let's go a little bit into the politics of this, although I suspect you probably know that as well. First off, there are no clean hands in all of this. Both sides have played politics with this issue, and the dynamics are largely been the same throughout, that the president's party— always wants uh, there to be a clean raising of the debt ceiling without any changes or waiving of the limit. And the other party, the, the out party in Congress, usually wants to vote no, just to make it as difficult as possible. And both sides use the rhetoric around debt limit, we're spending more than we can afford and the like. If memory serves, when I was there, I think even Senator Barack Obama voted no when Bush was in office and then was faced with that showdown in 2011 with John Boehner. And I'm pretty sure that I, I voted against the debt limit increase here or there, although they weren't as common when I was in, in Congress because we extended them for longer periods. But the presumption was always that those who voted no didn't really believe that they would actually be stopping the debt limit from being increased. They didn't actually believe that at the end of the day that their side would prevail. It was usually about leverage. In cases where the president's party controls Congress, the debt limit was always a non-issue. Uh, the Republicans gave Trump two easy and clean debt increases during his time without any of this talk about the outrageous debts that our country has incurred and how we have to stop spending. 
So where does this all stand today? Uh, Well, the problem lies entirely in the House of Representatives. The margins are so close there that when you combine the obstructionist Democrats, and I use that term with the greatest affection, because that's what the minority party is supposed to do. They're supposed to vote no on stuff that the Republicans want to get done. But you know, they, there are many Republicans also who simply don't give a crap about being responsible to anything other than the vague and, frankly, dangerous notion of burning the whole place down. The, combining those two things, you don't have much room for error. You know, when, when McCarthy starts with a four-vote majority and then you have Democrats all deciding they're going to vote no on whatever he wants to do, it, it really leaves very little margin for error. So McCarthy starts out with this idea of, well, I'll just put out a broad list of ideas of raising the debt limit, Um, but only enough to fund Social Security, Medicare, the military, and tax refunds. Basically, we won't agree to anything except the popular stuff. Um, Biden and the Senate, led by Chuck Schumer, said that's fine as a concept, but you go write a bill. You go put this down and try to pass it. And so for the last several weeks, we've been waiting to see if the Republicans can do that. And I'll be honest, the supposition that many of us proceeded from and much of the reporting out of Washington was they wouldn't be able to. Eventually, last week, the Republicans in the House actually passed something that both raised the debt limit and made a bunch of really deep budget cuts. Um, And they got the votes by unifying the Republican caucus to a large degree around the single enemy that animates them all, which is Joe Biden. Uh, The Inflation Reduction Act, the Student Debt Relief Executive Order, um, the additional IRS enforcement, anything that Biden has done, they threw it into the bill to eliminate it. And a result, as a result, got a bunch of members who said they would never, ever, ever, not in a thousand years, vote to increase the debt limit. They got them to do it. And the other thing that they argue to these members is this isn't a real bill. You can, you'll have another bite at this apple. It's just about getting Biden, putting pressure on Biden to come to the table. I have to say it was a huge and unexpected outcome. Without going into too much detail about the specifics of the plan, because the Republicans didn't, the Republicans want to undo a lot of the things that Biden wanted to do. And and then also on top of that, in order to make the math work and also to make the rhetoric work, they said 20% of all programs except on a limited list. And so they had to leave some things off the list. And one of them was VA health, for example, veterans health. This 20% across the board kind of cut allowed them to say, oh no, we want to cut the budget that much, but we don't say specifically where those cuts will come from. Therefore, if you say we want to cut a specific program in a specific amount, we can hop up and down and say that you're lying. I mean, in a way, it doesn't matter. The plan won't become law, but it did satisfy the rhetoric of the president and the Senate that the, you know, that the House had to act first because they're the toughest thing to get passed, and they did give a plan to their credit. So Chuck Schumer is doing now two things, declaring it dead. I think he's even renamed it DOA. What does that stand for? Defeat Our America or something like that. And also, at the same time, doing hearings on the the. Republican bill. I know there's a certain amount of dissidence between those two ideas, but the idea is to embarrass the House Republicans as much as possible. For his part, the president, to some degree spurred by the unexpected of the ability of the House to pull this off, but also by Janet Yellen kind of ringing the alarm about this X day coming, has invited everyone to his place to chew the fat, sip some Bud Lights and negotiate. That Bud Light is a throwback to a couple of weeks ago. And if this seems like kabuki theater, and if it seems like no one really thinks anything besides a deal is going to happen, you're not alone. I sort of agree with you. Um, and so do kind of the markets that don't, get, that don't seem terribly upset by this. There's a, a VIX index, which is a variability kind of a, kind of a, a function of how much un, improbable things may happen. That's basically been flat for this. 
But I think the thing that makes this sort of unprecedented is the tenuous nature of the Republican majority in the House. Yeah, they pulled this trick off once, but when it really becomes time to actually do something that is going to require compromise, will they be able to do it? It was a legit Houdini act built on the document that was not serious when they passed it the first time. Going forward, there really are only two outcomes. The president goes along with a fig leaf that, by definition, is going to be too small to cover McCarthy with his right, or he has to turn to Democrats for help. And in that case, he's vulnerable to an effort to overthrow his speakership. So so where does that leave us? What now? Well, the Democrats have hatched a sort of maybe plan, and it involves around a rarely used provision in the House rules. And this is a super long shot. And I've described the House rules in previous episodes. It's an effort in, in documents and in words and precedent to basically herd the cats that 435 members of Congress who all have a lot to say, a lot of things they want to do. And so the rules of the House, unlike the Senate, are pretty explicit about just about every combination of permutation. And the divining philosophy is the majority gets to run the place, but the minority has some rights. And in that last part, is a right for something called uh, a discharge petition. And that is, if you introduce a bill and it gets referred to committee and it sits there a while, in this case 30 days, then a majority of Congress can sign a piece of paper saying we want this bill out and voted on on the floor. Now, it is hardly ever successfully used. It was used once when I was in Congress, I think for the for campaign finance law, for McCain-Feingold back in 2002 or 2003. Um, but it exists as a rule. So the House has now introduced a bill, let it sit. It's a, it's a hodgepodge of different things. It almost doesn't matter what's in it. It's a placeholder bill. And in case of emergency, they can get all the re- Democrats to sign it and then start negotiating with a handful of Republicans for their signature. And it's kind of an emergency measure, kind of a break glass in case of emergency thing that the Democrats do to bail the Republicans out of this problem. Um, And by doing that, maybe that becomes an outcome because then McCarthy can say, hey, it's these five or six turncoats that turned on us. The Democrats offer them basically, I don't know what they can be offered, but basically good governance. Um, So that's one possible unlikely outcome. There are some things that the the public can do. You know, I told you earlier that there was this this very kind of calm in the markets about this because everyone thinks this is going to work out. Well, for one thing, we need all these conservative moneyed interests who have the most at stake here to get off the sidelines and organize like their bank accounts depend on it. And don't say just do something Congress, like I've seen said on on these shows, on MSNBC, I mean, on CNBC, Fox News, on these Bloomberg kind of business channels. They should be saying just lift the cap, period, clean. And they should say it to all their Republicans in Congress that that's what they want. Basically, if these Republicans think that no one cares, these moneyed interests should show them that they do. But is there anything that the president can do on his own? Well, can I interest you in a trillion-dollar coin? This is another one of those things you might have seen in passing. It's a wacky idea for a catastrophic possibility. The broad outline of the idea is, hey, if, if the U.S. government can print money, let's just print more. Let's, let's face the facts. That's what this entire conversation is really about is like, can we just go ahead and print some more money and pay our debts? Then there is this tiny little hook in a law that was passed a while ago, and it was a law that was passed basically to give the mint the the opportunity to print commemorative coins, if we're to be completely honest. But there is a part of uh, 31 U.S. Code 5112 that seems to give the president an out all his own. And I'm going to read here. It says... 
K. This is Section K to give you how long the idea with this, this bill is about. It's not about this subject per se. The secretary may mint and issue platinum bullion coins and proof platinum coins in accordance with such specifications, designs, varieties, quantities, denominations, and inscriptions as the secretary in the secretary's discretion may prescribe from time to time. So all that really says is the secretary can go ahead and do this. One coin, one coin that gets minted, one coin that gets deposited, voila, our bills are paid. Not serious? Mm, okay. Not credible? <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing is a bit based on kind of like us all being committed to the same bit that it matters. You know, you can just put out a piece of paper and say this is worth, this is worth a Toyota. Um, but the Secretary, the Secretary of Treasury, by the way, Janet Yellen, has said no. I mean, but she sort of has to because they want to keep the pressure on Congress. In a way, having this simple out is not a good message to have out there. They want to tell Congress they have to do it. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. But there is another idea. Um, it's not my idea. In fact, just yesterday, uh, there was a story in the Times that the, the, the Biden administration was considering this. And it's from a document that's even more profound than the U.S. Code. It's the Constitution of the United States, the 14th Amendment, Section 4. And this is the section that was inspired by the desire to put beyond question that the obligations of the government that were issued during the Civil War were absolutely inviolative. Again, trying to keep the full faith and credit intact. And I'm going to read you the part of the 14th Amendment that most people don't read. It's Section 4. The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. But neither the United States nor any state shall assume to pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection, rebellion against the United States, or any claim for the loss of emancipation of any slave. But for all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void. So the last part is basically we're not going to pay anything that the, um, that the South incurs. We're only going to pay the stuff that our actual unified government, um, like we're not going to pay for your losses as slaves. We're not going to pay for your rebellion, et cetera. So what does this mean? What this means is that there is a higher order of law than, than even what Congress is doing now. This says basically it's the constitutional requirement on the president and the government to pay our debt. So how does this argument play out? Basically, Joe Biden stands up or signs a document that said, I hereby authorize the raising of the debt to X amount or for one year or for whatever it is, pursuant to Section 4 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. And does the world go bonkers? Well, that's the concern, that the markets would be royal, that people would be concerned, that there might be lawsuits. But play this out a little. Who sues and says what? Um, the Republicans say, you taking away our congressional prerogatives to what? Screw things up? Do you really want that prerogative? I mean, are they going to really fight that hard? In a way, might you have a perfect storm here that the people that don't want to vote for it can say, I was able to stop it and that, that darn bastard Biden did it? The Biden administration then gets the thing. And maybe the markets say, you know what? This could be the end of, um, of debt limit fights for the foreseeable future. We're just going to pay our debts. So there's been a lot of 
Well, there's been some conversation about this as a possible out. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, why do we even have these debt limit fights? Why don't we just write into the law that the debt shall be paid? It's kind of been done already. That's what the 14th Amendment Section 4 does. And anyone who says, who wants to go to court on it, will have to make the argument not only that this is a legislative function, um, but that that legislature wants that function. And I don't know if that would happen. So there it is. You tuned in for a podcast and instead you got the answer to the 40 or $50 trillion debt question. I don't know if it would work. It's probably a better idea than a magical platinum coin that is minted. But it doesn't change the fact that probably at the end of the day, this is a political question. And part of the political tools in the president's toolbox is something called the United States Constitution. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. And we'll be right back with listener mail. So welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. Each week on The Middle Unplugged, we like to dip into our mailbag and take some feedback from people who write in, either at at Rep Wiener on uh, Twitter or Anthony D. Wiener on Facebook or WABC at gmail.com. But we've also used this time as a time to kind of answer back slash clap back slash deal with rhetorical questions that famous people, that people in politics have asked. And I found I'm usually using this time when someone says something that goes unchallenged to make sure that there is some clarity around it. And once again this week in the mailbag segment is the 45th president of the United States. And, you know, I don't know if you know, but the people, they're coming from prisons. They're coming from mental institutions and insane asylums. And these countries are all dumping them at our doorstep and saying, you take them. We don't want them. So there's a lot there. But the reason I wanted to highlight this, that that cut was from an interview that John Katzmatidis did um, on Katz and Cosby, which is the six o'clock, the five o'clock show on WABC radio, where they get a lot of heavyweights, including the president of the United States. And while I was listening to it, there are a lot of things that I heard the president say in that interview in a long kind of stream of consciousness way that he talks that few of the money knew not to be true. For example, in that interview, he said that Bagram Air, Air Base is now in Chinese hands, which is not true. And he asked this rhetorical question about why we don't um, keep control of Bagram, take out our troops, but keep Bagram Air Air Base, which is a 30-square-mile one. I talked about this a little on The Middle, my Saturday show on 2 o'clock on Saturdays, The Middle, how, frankly, you would need thousands of troops to to have Bagram Air Base stay open when you had turned over the rest of the country. And he also quoted a number, I think, $30 billion or $80 billion worth of, of military wear that was left there when it was only $7 million of billion of degraded material. Anyway, but as I'm listening to all of this, I heard that quote that we just played, 
Um, and I began, I was curious about that one because I hadn't heard it before. And lo and behold, I did some research and he has mentioned this idea before. Um, in a March speech in, in Texas, you know, he, he talks about this, you know, this idea of, of mental institution and asylums being opened up. And who can blame him, he said in, in March. And then later on in March in Iowa, he says, you know, you take a look at what's going on. They're emptying their prisons and insane asylums, and they're sending them to us. And then in April at the NRA, again, I, I found all of these quotes. Um, uh, uh, he said, uh, uh, can you imagine insane asylums, mental institutions, sending them empty out? I read a story not long ago where a man who takes care of a large segment of people in a mental institution in South American country, a doctor, sounded like a great man, actually. He said he no longer has anything to do. He used to work 24 hours a day. He said all of our patients have been released to the United States of America. So I started looking into this, and guess what? It just didn't, it's not true. Or if it's true, the Trump campaign has been asked to provide a site for it, and they have not been able to. No one else who has set out to do the same thing I did, kind of find a citation for this, has been able to do it. There's even a guy in Twitter who's offered money if anyone is able to find this doctor that he reports reading about. But it does raise the question about how you're supposed to engage in an interview where stuff is getting made up in real time. I mean, one is to be insanely prepared for every possibility. And when he says something that's not true, you stop him on it. And if you happen to know that Bagram Air Base is 30 square miles and you can't secure it, and if you happen to know that the Chinese are not there, that it's controlled by the Taliban, then maybe you can stop them. But what do you do in a case like this, where it's made completely out of broad cloth? Well, one thing is you can tune into your favorite podcast and hope that they treat it like listener mail and try to cite it. But this is becoming an increasingly important thing because um, just yesterday uh, it was announced that CNN was going to have a town hall meeting where uh, uh, Republicans in New Hampshire and undecided Republicans in New Hampshire were going to be allowed to ask questions. It was going to be moderated, quote unquote, by a moderator. But what do you do if you have someone who makes up stuff and the people asking the questions also took sources that were made up and repeated them. I mean, imagine this scenario. What if someone stands up and says, what are we going to do, Mr. President, about all those mental institutions in South America that are being emptied out? And the president goes on to talk about how outrageous it is that the Biden administration insisted that the mental institutions be emptied or something crazy like that. It becomes a very, very difficult question. And I don't know what the answer is, to be sure. I don't think that John and Rita did anything, anything, I don't think there's any kind of repertoire malfeasance involved, but I do think it is a problem when you have someone who's that well-documented. Maybe what the answer is, is you come back in the same time slot the following day and say, listen, here's a fact check on this. But even fact checks get people ticked off uh, because if you don't fact checks, you know, if you fact check one thing and not another, are you showing your bias? Will will someone want to come on if they think they're going to be fact checked so, so vigorously? I would hope this continues to happen, that the president talks about stuff. But I also think that anyone who does an interview with Donald Trump has to be kind of have it in the back of their mind that anything that the president says is a matter of fact could well be just made up. Um, and he's not the only one, but he's someone that does have a record that is profound. And I still encourage you to go to listen to the interview that was done as a part of uh, Cats and Crosby, because what's going on is now that Fox News has made it clear that they are leaning in kind of a DeSantis way and that they fired Tucker Carlson, and I think that they're, you know, they're kind of going in a different direction in the Republican Party. I think you're going to see Donald Trump showing up not only on places like 
um, like uh, um, CNN and WABC Radio, but probably many more places. I know he's going to be on with with Sid and, and friends in the morning. He's going to be around a lot, and I think that we have to come up with a way to both provide a place that he can do his talking, but also a mechanism to be doing the fact-checking, even on opinion stations like ours. So that's our listener mail. Once again, I want to thank the 45th President of the United States for providing us with that grist for the mill. Um, If you would like to uh, contribute something, if you'd like to ask a question, there are many podcast feeds that allow you to put comments. You can go ahead. We try to read those as often as we can. And again, at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R, on Twitter, Anthony D. Wiener on Facebook, WienerWABC at gmail.com is another place that you can reach me. We'll be back next week with another episode and this marks the end of the middle unplugged this is greg kelly for priority gold what does it mean to be america's precious metals dealer it means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country value our freedom and want to protect the future priority gold is that precious metals dealer they've helped thousands of americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver call priority gold at 888-506-6439 receive free shipping free storage a free investment guide and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.